good to be at Goodlettsville First Baptist Church. I have been here before. Uh, some of you remember the years of Roger and Pat Abington. I came here and spoke one time many years ago. Roger and I and Pat, my wife, are lifelong friends, and we knew each other in Kansas City. So I came here many years ago and and uh, spoke uh, in your church at a leadership event of some kind, actually before I went to Inglewood when I was down in Atlanta. And it's good to be back. And You know, I have a uh, I keep up with the churches where I'm touched closely, and you all are going to be one of them. I'm going to expect a lot out of this church. Uh, just, uh, I have a son that's a pastor, and a son-in-law that's a pastor, and then I'm still on staff in Inglewood. I coordinate all the pastoral care, and I do the Wednesday night programming and some other things. I expect a lot out of all the churches I'm involved with. So y'all, I'm just expecting, you know, phenomenal things. And what does that mean? When is a church doing a great work? Have you ever thought about that? When I visited Cuba some years ago, I had the privilege of sitting down with one of the great pastors of Cuba. When Castro came into Authority there, leadership there. He was put in prison. Was in prison for some 10, 15 years. During those prison years, his church thrived. Did tremendously well. Grew in a phenomenal way. Finally, the reality was, as he had put all of the pastors in prison discovered that the church did better when the pastors were in prison than they did when they were not. And so Castro released all the pastors. And I said to this pastor, well, I said, well, tell me, how in the world did you survive those years in prison? And how could your church survive? And he said, we stayed, or we went back to focusing on Jesus. And everything else meant nothing. The buildings meant nothing. The programs meant nothing. The music meant nothing. We left, we laid all of those down, and we focused on Jesus. You want to be a great church? You will focus on Jesus. If you want to focus on the past, you'll miss the blessings of the future. If you want to focus on the future, you'll miss the joys of the present. But if you want to focus on Jesus, you will see the past in perspective of the present with great anticipation of the future, and you'll be a great church. No church ever measures up quite to that. But I'm looking forward to hearing great things from Goodlettsville, and I will check on you on a regular basis. And I will be sure that you're caring especially for my grandchildren. 
members. That's pretty important. As has already been introduced this morning, the subject, the issue, the part of the Advent season that I have been asked to comment on is Jesus, our peace. Some weeks ago, we were cleaning off the front and the sides of our refrigerator. I don't know whether you ever have to do that or not. I have ten grandchildren, and they're of all ages. I have those that are graduated from college and those that have just been birthed and about a year old. And so I'm comfortable with the fact that I have a lot of things on my refrigerator. We have appointments on there. We have pictures on there. So Marilyn decided it was time to clean off some of the stuff on the refrigerator. There was a little card on there, and all it said on the top of it was peace. be honest with you, I hadn't looked at it lately. I looked at it, and I said, let's keep that on the refrigerator. So I put it back on the refrigerator. Here's what it says. Peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, no trouble, or no hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in our heart. In other words, all of us are involved in things that make a lot of racket. Some of it's good racket. You've known my youngest grandson. He is a squealer. I love it. I empower him to do more. Susan says, quiet him down. I said, let him go, mate. There's a lot of noises I love, but there's a lot of noises in our world that create a lot of conflict, a lot of confusion, and a lot of heartache. And there's a lot of trouble in our world today. I could say that of every age, every part of my life, in every aspect of my life. The first recollection I have of what I'd call a real problem, I remember Pearl Harbor. I, could re- I just remember the people weeping and praying. And ever since Pearl Harbor, in one way or another, we have been at war. Sometimes it's a cold war. Sometimes it's an active war. And we're in war now. But there's many other problems in our world. It seems that there's problems that just overwhelm us. Now, according to this week, I don't know whether it's safe to go to a mall. Can you imagine that? In a city that is not a dominant city, a crazy man comes in and destroys Christmas for many families and a whole community, actually, just because he was in trouble, he wanted everybody else to be in trouble. There's a lot of trouble. And there's a lot of things that we have to work hard at, really hard at. I can tell you, I've pastored for over 40 years. I remember many years ago, a man said, Jack Price said to me, we were talking about, Jack Taylor said to me, we was talking about what it takes to grow a church. 
And he said, man, what you got to do to grow a church, you got to beat them up. And I said, well, what do you mean by that, Jack? You got to beat them up. He said, you got to get up before they do and stay up longer than they do because it's the hardest work you'll ever do. And it is hard work. It's demanding. But many of you all work at demanding things that cause a lot of challenges. The idea is this. Peace does not come with retreat. Peace comes in the midst of these things with a calm heart. Now, how do you get that? You get that only if Jesus is our peace. So I want to take the verse that has already been touched upon, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and take it as a springboard to talk with you a little bit about how in the world you have peace. This is actually a song. This is a chorus. For those of you who love to sing choruses, it appears that the angels sing this chorus over and over and over and over again. We don't know how many times, but everybody heard it. It was an angelic song, and it simply says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Because of the importance of this verse in regard to our Christmas story, many have examined that and said, You know, it's difficult to comprehend exactly what all it means, And many translations, here's another one. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please Him. However you translate that, the idea is this. Jesus came to bring peace. As Isaiah did forecast or foretell, He would become the Prince of Peace. The challenge I have for you at this Christmas season is, are you allowing Jesus to be your peace? Can you say, I have a calm in the midst of the storm, no matter what storm it is, because I have Jesus. I have peace. I think there's three words, and I want to leave these three words with you. I want to give them to you at first. I'm going to give, you in, give, you, give them to you in the middle, and I'm going to give them to you to the end. So you might want to jot these three words down. If you want to have peace, you've got to deal with three words. The first of these is guilt. Say that with me. Guilt. Say it out loud. Secondly, you have to deal with grief. Say it. Thirdly, you have to deal with grudges. If you want to have peace on this Christmas season, if you want to have peace in the midst of what you're involved with, you will deal with the guilt you have from sin, the grief you have from loss, and the grudges you have toward other people. If you have your Bibles, you might open them up to Acts chapter 10. If not, just make a note. There are many pivotal passages in the book of Acts. 
I'm in an intense study of the book of Acts now, and a Thursday morning Bible study I'm involved with. And I have revisited this book many, many times. And every time I revisit it, I think, you know what? This is the textbook for growing a church. For it has every element in it about church growth. In the midst of this book, chapter 10, it's close to the middle of it, Peter, who was a Jew, and he was, com- he was a devout Jew. He was a committed Jew. And he had resolved that he would struggle with trying to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He was more focused on the Jews. And you know, he had a dream. And in that dream, God clearly defined for him that there was nothing unclean. And that he needed to be opened up, have his vision of sharing the good news of Jesus to everyone. In the midst of that setting, Cornelius comes to his house, knocks on his door, and says, You know, there's a group of people who want to hear about this Jesus. And so Peter, having had the dream, had the invitation, went down to Cornelius' house, and there was a massive group of Gentiles. Now, if you're a non-Jew, you are a Gentile. Amen? It don't matter whether you're black or white, whether you're Indian or Asian. The Bible has two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you're not a Jew, you fall into the whole other category. So Peter goes down there, and he don't know how to react to this. So what he does, he just preaches Jesus. Again, if you have your Bibles there in Acts chapter 10, I want to just introduce, this is a sermon that he preached. It's the first sermon preached to the Gentiles by Peter. And it's a very significant sermon. It begins in verse 34 of chapter 10 of Acts. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is no respecter of persons, or He shows no partiality. Amen? You see, the peace of God shows no partiality. It's available to everyone, to anyone, no matter who says it's not, it is according to God's Word. He goes on to say, But in every nation... The man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to God. Verse 36, a key verse in chapter 10 of Acts. The word which he sent to his sons, to the sons of Israel, preaching what? Peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That's his introduction to his sermon. And he gets, and he talks all about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And then in verse 43, which I have up on the screen, verse 43 says, Of him, that is Jesus, all the prophets bore witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives Forgiveness of sins. Amen? Everyone, 
anyone who believes on Jesus has forgiveness of sin. One of the concerns I've had for many years as a pastor, that many godly people still live with a lot of guilt. And it bogs them down. All of us have lived life, all of us have lived life very long, know there's a lot of things that we have failed in. A lot of mistakes we've made. A lot of energy we've invested in things that weren't worth our energy. And a lot of things that we should have invested in that we didn't invest in. And we can live in the guilt of the past. Some of you know that not all children emerge as godly children. I don't care how godly the parents are. Now, I can tell you the statistics are clear that godly parents raise godly kids. But I can also tell you that I know many godly people whose kids rejected the God of their heritage. And they missed the blessings of salvation and lordship of Christ. But I know people that live with all these guilts, all these I wish, I wish, I wish I would. The reality is this. We live there, we miss the peace that Jesus comes to bring. The Jesus of Christmas, put that up there if you will, people who find the Christ of Christmas have the forgiveness given in Jesus' name And this gives great peace. I say to you this Christmas season, allow Jesus to take hold of your weaknesses, your frailties, your falsehoods. Let Him take hold of all of the sin that so easily besets you. When that was written, that was written to believers. Sins that so easily beset your peace. I say to you, we should have peace in our hearts that can move through any crisis and every crisis because we have Jesus. Amen? And if you have Jesus, you have peace because He forgives all sin. If you're here today and you've never trusted this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, You will never know peace. The younger generation, a generation I love dearly, and I have two 16-year-old grandsons, and I keep up with the teenage years and the young adults. I think it's going to be one of the greatest generations that ever emerged on American soil. There are so many great hopes. As a matter of fact, there's many of this generation that's raising up that are under 30, that absolutely amaze me with their wisdom. But I'll say this, they're searching for realness. They're searching for that which is real. Let me say to you, the younger generation, the real deal is Jesus. It is where we find our peace. I regret that in church today, sometimes we've thought is through the programming of the church, through the plans of the church, through the buildings of the church, through the location of the church. I say we got to be real careful, church leaders, that we don't point anybody to anything except Jesus, 
for He is the one who forgives sin. Amen? Secondly, not only does Jesus is our peace because He forgives sin, but Jesus is our peace because He deals with our grief. I was watching Oprah this week, and she had a program on there that I was just intrigued with. My wife, who's here this morning, is taping it, I think, and maybe I watched it later. Had to do with one more day. Let me ask you a question. If you had one more Christmas to spend somebody to spend with somebody who has gone on to be with the Lord, who would it be and what would you do? You think about that. Who would you say, I would love to have one more Christmas with? Who would it be? It would be my dad. My dad died when I was a late teen. We had Christmas together, and he had a heart attack in January and died in February. And I thought, boy, I would like to have him at our Christmas event this year with my kids and my grandkids and three beautiful in-laws we have, two daughter-in-laws and a son-in-law. I would love just one, I'd like for him to be able to be with us one more time. Any of you have any of those experiences where you think, you know, wouldn't it be good? Here's, and here's the thing. You can grieve over the past to the point that you miss the blessing of the present. I uh, saw the name Forbes, and I see his, met his grandson here. When I was a teenager, B.B. McKinney, is that a name you've ever heard of? Would come to Paducah, Kentucky, and introduce new music to us. And we'd go to Old First Baptist or Emmanuel, some of those churches, and we would just, the roof would just about cave in with the noise that came from them new songs. What happened to them, they became old songs. And some people grieve that they're now going to be gone songs. Instead of introducing new songs, I say the 21st century is introducing the greatest Christian hymns in a many a century. Tremendous music's coming out. It's phenomenal. And if you're grieving over the fact that we're laying down the hymn books and picking up new music, I just ask you to read the lyrics of these mu this music. It is phenomenal. And we need the B.B. McKinney's that will introduce this godly music to us and celebrate the new rather than to grieve about losing the old. They kind of go together. What I'm saying is, grief does come in death. 
It comes in a lot of other ways. Thanksgiving Day, one of our families had their Thanksgiving meal together. Wonderful day. The wife and mother took sick on Friday after Thanksgiving, died the next week. She was in her 50s. Very sad. Roger, the husband, grieved son David. And we grieve over death. and we, we should, and there's a grief process in death. And a church this size, you have your members. We had a funeral yesterday of one of our members there at Inglewood. And there's a lot of grief in the process of death, but there's a lot of other griefs. I wish things were the way they used to be. You know, I'm glad they're not. I was raised in a home without electricity and running water. I'm glad we've got both. I'm glad my car is air-conditioned. I'm glad we've got central heat. The reality is we've got to be careful what we grieve about, but sometimes we will labor over grief to the point that we miss the blessings of the peace that comes from Jesus. Here's what he said in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the word rest is a parallel to the word, the concept of biblical peace. I will give you that calmness in your soul. I will give you that calmness in your spirit. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find this peace. The problem is this. All who labor and are heavy laden, If we took time this morning, it would take all afternoon, we could stay in this room and share the testimonies in this room of people who are heavy laden with an issue in their lives. For all of us have heavy issues that we are confronted with day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. There's all kinds of crisis that we have to deal with. Jesus said this, My responsibility to you, for those of you who want my peace, is to lay on the altar of my grace every issue you're dealing with. The problem is this, all of us labor and are heavy laden. The promise is, if we will come to Jesus, we will find peace. Now, here's how you'll know whether you do that or not. The opposite of peace is what? Worry. It's the very opposite of peace. You either have peace with God in the midst of any crisis or any situation you're dealing with, or you will be Worry, be fretful and worrying about those issues, and therefore you miss God's peace. 
Now, some of you say, I am not heavy laden with anything. Well, I say to you, just wait your turn because it will come. It comes to all of us. Some of you know I served as president of the convention. The week before the convention that I was to moderate over, my wife was diagnosed with significant cancer. Now, if that won't get you, nothing will. We've been married 50 years, celebrated our 50th anniversary this year. Uh, you'll see her later. You'll see she's a young lady. I did marry her as a child bride, but you can see I've grown old and weary in the midst of these years. But the reality is this. That's probably the biggest problem I've ever had to deal with. And it's so totally out of my control. Now, what do we do with things like that? Do we fret and fume, worry, become discouraged and despondent? Or do we give them to Jesus and in Him find peace in the midst of the storm? Which one do we do? I pray that you as an individual, you as a family member, you as a congregation will say, you know what? There is no issue we will face as a congregation. There's no issue we will face as a family. There's no issue that I will face as an individual that I can't give to Jesus and He will give me peace in the midst of the storm. That's what peace is. Peace is not the absence of storm. Peace is giving our heavy laden issues to Jesus in the midst of the storm. This is great peace. It's the kind of peace the world knows nothing about. It's the kind of peace that only the believer knows about. The third word is grudges. Won't spend as much time here. But here is a serious issue in many churches. It may not be in this church, but it is. Unhealthy hurts is what a grudge is. And sometimes, especially around Christmas, these emerge. They emerge within families. They emerge within old relationships that are brought back up. And... Jesus came to give us victory over our grudges. His peace covers our grudges. Listen to this. It's a lot of part of the Lord's Prayer. You've probably quoted it many times and memorized it over the years. For if you forgive others for their trespasses, transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The essence of this, do you really know God's forgiveness? If you do, you will carry it out in your life with a spirit of forgiveness yourself. If you say, well, I know Jesus and I have peace with Jesus, 
but it's people I can't stand. You don't have peace. You have not experienced the forgiveness of sin. You're, you're burdened down with some grief processes that you have not given to Jesus. To lay. You're heavy laden down with some of those things. And you're missing the blessings of relationships because you're holding on to grudges. Jesus said from the cross, what? Father, do what? Let's say it out loud. Father, do what? For they know not what they do. I say this to you. There is no place for a grudge. I have pastored a long time. I have seen many good people go bad because of grudges. Good people. Good people. Turn sour. Because of grudges. Forgiveness is a command. Forgiveness is continual. It deals with our past, and it deals with our future, and it calls us to the present. I'll say that again as we put it up on the screen. Forgiveness is a command. It's continual. It has with the past as the future. An unforgiving spirit holds us in bondage and prevents peace. I ask you this morning, do you really want the peace of Jesus on your life? Do you really want the peace of Jesus in the life of your church? Is that a yes or a no? I was just seeing whether you were out there or not. I I am a participative preacher. You either respond or I wonder if you're still out there. Then what are the three things we're committed to dealing with this year? We're going to deal with what? Our guilt. And we're going to deal with what? Our grief. And we're going to deal with what? Our grudges. And I'll tell you, if you will lay them at the altar of God's grace in Jesus Christ... You will have his peace. There's a poem that I'll close with. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote it. This is his, it's kind of a prayer poem. Loving Father, help us rightly to remember the birth of Jesus, that we may share in the songs of the angels, the gladness of the shepherds, and the worship of the wise men. Close the door of hate and open the door of love all over the world. Let kindness come with every gift and good desires with every greeting. Deliver us from evil by the blessing which Christ brings and teach us to be merry with a clean heart. May the Christmas morning Make us happy to be thy children. And the Christmas evening, bring us to our beds with grateful hearts. Forgiving and forgiven, for Jesus' sake, amen. Good to be with you this morning. God's blessings upon you.
as is our Baptist custom, we offer an opportunity of invitation. My concept of invitation is this. If you've come, you've come to make a decision. Everybody. The concept of coming down an aisle to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior or to join this church is a wonderful concept. Billy Graham actually introduced that to the local church, and it's been prevalent ever since his beginning of his ministry. And we saw last night a show on television about his wife, what a contribution he's made in many, many, many ways, and that's one of them. And if you're here today and you need to make a public profession of your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you to do that. If you need to be obedient to believers' baptism, we invite you to do that. If you need to find a great church home, I can tell you, this is a great church place. And you will make it greater if you'll come and be a part of it if the Lord leads you to do that. But the thing we've left out is this. Everyone who came was forced to make a decision for Christ before we started the aisle walking. And we want you to get back to that. If you're here today, there's a decision you need to make. Here it is. Will you let the peace of Jesus dominate your Christmas? Will you let that happen? All of us will not let it happen completely. Because we just we, we want to be more like Jesus, but we'll never be perfect in every way. But would you make a commitment this Christmas, saying, I'll make a commitment today to let Jesus be my peace for this Christmas. I will deal with any guilt I have of past, present, or present sins. I will lay them on the altar of His grace, and I'll know His forgiveness. I'll make a commitment to live in the present. The past has prepared me for the present. I'm writing the history of the future for the future, but I have a present moment. I will live in that present moment in his peace with his plans for my life. And I will lay down any grudges I have toward any individual, no matter who it is. Or why it is. I will lay it down. Will you make a positive response to that? If you're here today and there is a public response you need to make, we invite you to make it. Let's stand together as we sing an invitation hymn.